If you're not already a subscriber to the London Review of Books, now is the perfect time to try. Sign up for just £5 a month and treat yourself to some of the world's best writing from Europe's leading magazine of culture and ideas. Subscribe now while you're listening to this podcast at lrb.me forward slash now. That's lrb.me forward slash now. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop podcast. To find out about our upcoming events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's a great privilege to be here with Didier Eribon and Edouard Louis. Um, a few more words of introduction. Didier Eribon, on my near left, is Professor of Sociology at the University of Amiens. His books include a biography of Michel Foucault and the study Insult and the Making of the Gay Self. He's the author of many other studies, books of critical theory, and many, many newspaper and magazine articles. We're here to celebrate the publication today for the first time in the UK of his acclaimed memoir, Returning to Rem, an astonishingly frank and lucid account of returning to the town where he grew up after an absence of some 30 years. The book is a huge bestseller in Europe, and our second guest this evening on my far left, Edouard Louis, said of the book, it played a capital role in my life. I was overwhelmed by this book. I felt I was reading the story of my life. Edouard Louis is the author of three books and the editor of a book on the social scientist Pierre Bourdieu. His first novel, The End of Eddie, has been translated into more than 25 languages. And this evening, we're celebrating the publication in the UK of his second novel, History of Violence, a brutally honest account of a violent assault he experienced in Paris in 2012 and a consideration of its origins, its reasons, and its aftermath. Again, if you would, please join me in welcoming our guest this evening. I'd like to begin um, in history of violence. Um, Reda, the young man Edward meets, um, is a second-generation North African immigrant. You meet, you go to your apartment. He tells, at one point, the story of his father coming to France. But what is discussed is not so much looking forward to the new life, but that it's the past that is the one thing that can be changed, that the new life cannot be changed, the past can be changed. And I wondered if I could ask you both to talk a little about this idea 
of, it, of the past being the things that can be changed, especially in the light of your own experience? Yeah, I, I, I wrote that um, in a History of Violence. I wrote about the fact that when the, pair of a, the father of a, a Reda uh, arrived in France uh, after a very difficult life and a miserable life uh, in uh, Algeria, uh, before he knew that he was going to face a miserable life in France, in the racist France, um, I, I, I say that he did it in order to to save his path, to believe that all the efforts he put before, uh, all the things he fought for, all the things he worked for, were meant to uh, achieve something, mm. to go to France and to give more privilege than he had uh, for his son. Um, and, uh, and, and so the way this guy talked to me uh, uh, about his father the night I met him really made me think about it, uh, about that. How can you, how can you change the past? Because in a way, it's very difficult to, I mean, the present and the future can be modified by someone else without you expecting it. You know, a truck can come and kill me in 10 minutes. Uh, but the past, in the way that it's more or less already settled, because it's settled precisely, you can change it. You can modify it in a certain way, at, with certain limits, you know? And so that's why I wanted to talk about uh, uh, in this book. And I guess that for me, uh, when I write about my childhood, it's also a way of, uh, of saving a past I didn't have. I, I, I mean, I think I... I didn't, I didn't experience my childhood. I, I was living next to my childhood, but I wasn't living it because I was next to my body. I couldn't fit in my body. I was this fe effeminate, effem uh, effeminate kid in a, in a milieu where the masculinity was the most important value and I couldn't fit in this milieu. And, and so I had the impression that I was, yeah, next to my childhood and I, I didn't. I didn't experience it. So to write about it today is probably more than I admit a way of living a, a childhood that I, I never had. And that's why childhood is so <coughs> central because I'm too scared about the future, but I know that the past, at least I can do, I can do something with it. Thank you. Didier, your experience going to Paris and so on. Well, uh, the fact is that, uh, of course, the, the past, you cannot change it because it's, uh, it's happened and uh, it has been here it, and it, uh, the past uh, uh, built you as you are now. But I, I, I was the, the son of a working class family, a very poor working class family in the north of France. France. Uh, um, and this is what I, when I was a teenager, when I became a student, this is what I, I try my best to escape from, um, to, to, to invent myself as someone else, uh, to, to belong to a different social milieu, and, um, and to become what, what I am today. But I would also say that the past is something 
in a way, of course, in a way, in, in a certain way, no, not completely, but in a certain way, is, uh, that you can uh, choose. Because when I escaped from my milieu, from my so- social milieu, um, I, I interpreted that, uh, this escape, this, uh, this flight from this milieu, as uh, an attempt to escape from uh, the homophobia of this uh, milieu, the strong homophobia which, which was uh, prevailing in that milieu. And this is true, of course, to, to become the, 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 I was, I was at that time the, the scared gay kid, uh, um, the Allen Ginsberg, uh, one of Allen Ginsberg poem, uh, mentioned this, uh, sca- I was a scared gay kid. And this, this is what I, I was, a scared gay kid, uh, in that milieu. I had to, to escape from that milieu in, in order to, to reach some, uh, a social space, uh, uh, or to build a social space in which I would be able to live my life as a, a, a gay uh, teenager or, or later a gay student or a gay, Gay adult, but this is the beginning of my of my book, uh, returning to Reims. Uh, I realized when my father died uh, now twelve years ago that uh, it was an easy way to interpret my uh, escape from my milieu. It was too easy. It was true, but it was not uh, the complete truth. There, were, there was another part of the truth. It well, I was pushing away uh, the. Uh, my obvious belonging to the working class, and I wanted to escape f- from that working class uh, milieu. And, and I tried to erase from my, from my body the way I speak, my vocabulary, the way I, I have to correct my accent in French, uh, I, the way I, I behave, uh, the way I think, to erase all what remained in me of this working class milieu. And then when I went back after the death of my father, when I, I went back to see my mother and a kind of reconciliation with her, I realized I could choose this path too. I, not only I have been a gay kid, a gay child, uh, but also a working class kid. And this is what I want to to reappropriate myself in this book. I was a work, working class kid as well as a gay kid. And this is, these two, uh, these two identities, if I can uh, use this word, which is a tricky word, but uh, let's use it. Uh, uh, these two identities clashed uh, with each other. And um, this clash, um, compelled me to escape, to, to do something. And, uh, but I had also now, uh, I had, when I was returning to it, I had to reappropriate myself, this, uh, this part of myself, uh, which I wanted to forget, and which, of course, I never, never had completely forgotten. It, it was in my body, in my mind. And so I can, we can, we can change the past. I changed my past because uh, I added to my past this working class past that I had uh, attempted to completely erase from, um, from what I am. Could I ask, to what extent um, do you think 
your individual experience becomes a way of seeing the world. Edward. I mean, for me, it's uh, it's obvious. <laughs> it's obvious that what we live, what we live through, what we experience is uh, always already uh, collective experience mm. that was uh, shared uh, uh, by other people, mm. and uh, that's what happened to me when I read Didier's uh, book, Returning to Reims. You know, I I suddenly <coughs> understood that all my feelings, all my emotions, all my shame in my childhood as a gay child, because as Didier says, uh, and was the same for me, and it was probably the same thing for a lot of people here, uh, my childhood was, was, a, was a history of shame, of shame of what I was, of shame of my desire, of shame of my body. I thought I was sick, you know. And, uh, and, and very strangely, what happened with shame is that you end up believing that you are alone in yeah. the world, yeah. you know. When I was a child, I thought that I was alone in my shame, you know. And so that's why there is something already very political when you talk about shame, because yeah. you, that, 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 our, that our shame is a, is, is, is an ex, it's a collective experience, yeah. of course. And, uh, you know, recently I was very struck by, by something, uh, when I was a child, my father would always say, uh, a man should never cry, okay? So my father was repeating this kind of sentence. Everyone was kind of repeating the, 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 this type of sentence. And it was, you know, a man was someone who would never cry. That was a real man. That was a tough man. And lately, I was giving a lecture in the U.S., so I had to, to read to reread a little bit the end of Eddie. And I realized, even even even, you know, I wasn't completely conscious of it when I was uh, writing it. But I realized that when I was a child, my father was crying all the time, you know? He was crying every day, all the time. And my mother, she maybe cried two times in, in, in a couple of years, you know? And, uh, and, and the thing is that in my childhood, in my milieu, in the working class milieu where I was, but I think we can apply this theory on other realities. People were full of rules and full of norms that people didn't really respect, you know? And so it doesn't mean that a norm or a rule has no effect on the body, but rather than uh, most of the time, the effect of a rule is shame, you know? Because we know we don't follow this rule. We know we don't completely uh, fit in uh, the norms and the social norms and the rules that people uh, are giving. Mm. And I don't know, maybe it's naive, but if at some point someone told to my father, you know, all the men cry, he should have been a different person. And maybe he would have been less violent with my mother. And but because he, he probably thought, like me as a gay kid, he probably thought that he was, that he was alone in his shame. Okay. And it's, uh, and it's something that, you know, we're, it, particularly here in the, in the UK, you know, you have the, you have the royal uh, family, you, okay? So it's a milieu full of uh, rules, full of very strong norms, full of the, and you realize that no one followed the rules. No one followed the norm. One is alcoholic, one is in love with someone else, one is disguised as a Nazi, one is, and, 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 and everyone, <laughs> and, you, you know, and, and, and they're probably all full of shame, you know, of, of, of like, why don't I, uh, follow this rule, why, maybe I am incapable of something, maybe, and, and, but if you watch collectively, 
you, you, you feel that it's a, that this shame is a, is a collective uh, experience. Mm. So when I talk about my, my experience as Edouard Louis and as Eddie Belgel, because I had a different name when I was a child, uh, that's, that's why I try to, I try to do, to talk about my, to talk about my shame in order to a little bit <coughs> undo this norm, because you don't, you never completely undo them and, and they are very strong. But, but there is always this, this gap between, uh, between that yes. and, and, yeah. 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 Uh, well, I, I've always been interested in, in not that much in uh, individuals, but in more in, uh, um, I'm a Bourdieuian sociologist, we can say, or, or, and uh, I've always been interested in social structures and uh, the exploration and excavation of social structures. And my book is drawing, when I, when I started writing it in 2000, uh, in 20, just 2006 or 2006, well, I don't know how to put it, to, to say it in English, uh, 2006, 2006. And, uh, it, it, I did not intend to write a book about me, nor about my parents, but writing a book, a book about me, about my parents was a way of, uh, trying to explore this, the 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 class structure of French society, uh, the role of the school system in the reproduction of that class uh, social structure, uh, uh, the role of uh, of um, uh, sexual hierarchies to be to be gay or, or to be straight, the the the, the structure of gender. Uh, to be a man or to be a woman, my, my parents, uh, um, a man, my father, and a woman, my, my mother, the interaction, uh, between each other. Um, and so it, uh, but overall it, it, it was, it was an exploration of the, of the class structure of, uh, of French society from the, um, the, the, the time of my grandparents to, um, to, up to now, and what has changed and what has not changed, which is, uh, 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 when you see what has changed, when you see what has not changed, you, you, you realize that, uh, uh, for example, the, in, in what, what is the function of the school system to reproduce the, uh, domination of the dominant, of the, of the bourgeoisie over the, the, the poor people, uh, the working class and so on through, through the justification and legitimation of their domination, uh, which is a class domination through the idea that they deserve it because they are, uh, uh, smarter, uh, more edu uh, educated than the other one. And this, this, it's, it's a book, uh, uh, Edouard talked about shame. My book is about shame. As, as one of the most important effects in the, in, in, in the society, um, different uh, levels of society, and then this is a multi-layered effect. But there is a, sh there is shame because there is a, a, so, a, a social violence everywhere. And 
returning to us is a book on social violence, economic violence, cultural violence, uh, violence, violence uh, of the of the school system, uh, pushing away. Uh, uh, the, the kids of uh, working class or destitute people. And this violence is what I try to... When, when I wrote this book, it was, in my mind, uh, a book of, of theory, uh, and not a, a, a memoir or an autobiography. But I wanted to write this theoretical book in a very, very personal way in which this theory would be grounded uh, uh, in my own uh, experience, in the experience of my, in my past, in my present, uh, the the trajectory between my past and my present, and the way back, I, w- I went from this past to this present, and the way back from the present to this past, uh, as a way of understanding uh, the differences, the, the 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 huge differences between classes and. Uh, so the structure, the social structure of the country in which I live, I, I would say it's uh, not that different in <laughs> the country in which we are uh, tonight. And uh, because this social violence is, uh, as you, you know better than, than me, uh, is also uh, very, very uh, strong here yeah. in uh, in Great Britain, of course. And it's in Germany, it's, it's Spain, it's in Italy, it's everywhere. In Greece, it's everywhere. And so, my personal experience was not uh, to 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 give an account of my personal experience was not the the, the motivation mm. of my book, mm. but to give this account was uh, a way of uh, building. Uh, Politic, theoretical and political frame. My book is a political intervention in the political field of France and Europe today uh, because of the erasure of uh, poor people, of working class people from the political landscape has led us to the t- situation in which we are today with the far right wing in France, in Germany. Uh, uh, Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 
uh, in Italy and uh, and the Brexit year. So uh, it's uh, it's it's it, it was an attempt to understand also uh, the what the left has become in our country and why why. Also, if I may add something, um, it's it's not only a matter of a. It's not only a matter of choice and of decision. I didn't really choose to write yeah. uh, about personal experience. It's, it's only that I, I really have the impression that I, I, that I can't afford uh, fiction. That yeah. Uh, yeah. I can't. You know, there is these stories that I like to, to tell, but when I, was, when I was maybe 12 years old or something, I don't remember, uh, Le Clésio, the, the French writer, uh, won the Nobel Prize for Literature. And of course, in my family, we, di we didn't read, we, we didn't have books, um, and so we never heard about literature. But that day, because it was the Nobel Prize, it was everywhere on TV, and so with my parents, we were watching uh, TF1, so it was even literature, literature on TF1. Uh, and, uh, and, and there was an interview of Le Clésio. And, and I remember that Leclésio was talking uh, about uh, his characters, about the way he was building his chapters, about his style. And I, I re it was a very naive thought. But I remember thinking, like, we are dying. We are starving. My father had an accident at the factory at 35 years old. He was in a bed for five years because of this accident. He couldn't walk anymore. He couldn't eat normally anymore. He was shitting on his own body because he couldn't go to the toilets and he couldn't pay for the medication. And this guy is talking about building a character. And who is talking about us? Who is talking about us? You know? And, and of course it was, it was a naive. I was, I was a child and, and I'm not making a, a <laughs> England hates me when it's not. <laughs> Uh, and it's it's not it's not a statement <laughs> against fiction because obviously like the writers that I, I admire the most uh, uh, Tony Morrison, uh, Tash O, uh, Marguerite Duras, uh, Carlos Fonseca, a lot of people write fiction that I admire so much. But me, I can't. My body can't do that because of this ethical interpolation of this moment when I was 13 years old. I thought like. Who, who talks about us? They are creating characters. And I know that creating characters is a way of talking about other people. But I wanted my father to exist. I wanted not, not someone as a metaphor. I wanted my real father to exist in a book. And for me, it was so unfair that no one was talking about him, you know? And so we always, we always pretend that we make decisions, but uh, in fact, it's not completely a decision. I, I tried to write fiction, and I can't. I can't because there is, there is this, there is this, twelve-year-old child within my body telling me you can't do that. And uh, and so then we pretend, oh yeah, I do it because of literary reason and blah blah blah. But but not really. In fact. You're, you're creating literature, I think, but in a sense, out of non-literature. You're giving a voice to people who are not represented in literature generally. I mean, it was very, uh, yeah, because when I, it's a, it's a story I, I often say, but when I, of course, when, as, as probably many people here, when I, when I started to read books, uh, when I started to discover literature, I would, I would never read about the people of my childhood. And 
And the only book that I read about the people of my childhood was the book of Didier, Returning to Reims. Um, even if it was a slightly different milieu, because uh, Didier's parents were working at the factory, and uh, and my father very quickly lost his job. So I'm not making a competition to say uh, who was the poorest, but uh, just, just just to say that it was that it was a that it was a a, a different class. And in in my, my mother's uh, or my father's, they perceived the workers as, as privileged people because we were living out of welfare, and we didn't have a job. And say and so. Most of the time, a, a way of not understanding the working class is a way of like putting, creating a big category without seeing the opposition, without, you know, like uh, racist people who call uh, all people who live uh, under uh, uh, Portugal Arabs, you know, everything. Like my mother says that everything under Portugal is Arab and everything east of uh, Poland is uh, Chinese. And that's, that, and so it works the same way with the class racism, you know, you see them as a whole category. And of course it was very, a different way of thinking, different way. We were very different from the workers. We were so different in our way of living, our way of talking, our way of thinking. But still, when I read Didier's book, I thought like, oh my God, finally, I, I understand something. I, I experienced something. And I, and, 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 and precisely because it was not exactly the same milieu, it uh, allowed me uh, to talk about my milieu, it was as if a door was opened, and and and, and suddenly I was I was uh, able to talk about the people of my childhood, about the class of my childhood, because uh, because it was something we constantly uh, experienced. Mm. The fact that we didn't exist mm. in other people's voice, it was something that my family would repeat every day. No one cared about us, and probably your mother said the same thing. It's a it's a topic. It's something that people repeat again and again. Uh, no one recognizes us. No one talk about us. No one care about us. And so we are no, going no, to no vote one for care Marine about Le Pen. No one, no one take us into account. Uh -huh. This is a, what, what my mother used to say. In my family, when I was a child, the, uh, when it came to uh, political issues, the, there, there was a very uh, simple division between those who care about working class, uh, the working class people, ceux qui sont pour l'ouvrier, they are in favor of the working class, and they do something for working class. And the other one, those who does not care, who don't care about working class people, who don't do anything uh, for working class people. This was a very clear division, political, social and political division. And today it's something very different. Edouard is as you realize very easily, he's younger, a little bit younger than me. And uh, um, of course, something has changed between my uh, my, my parents and the East and my generation and this one. Is that the working? It's difficult to speak about a working class because it's a working class which doesn't have to work anymore because they don't have, they they cannot get jobs. And when they can get jobs, uh, uh, jobs are uh, temporary. Partial, partial time, uh, um, uh, uh, with very, very low wages, uh, the, the, the working poor, uh, and this, this global general precarization of uh, what we used to call the working class, and uh, with these precarized jobs, uh, and uh, produces precarized uh, um, um, bodies, precarized uh, habitus, as Pierre Bourdieu would say, and this precar general precarization of uh, of not only works but working people and 
is something which is very, very uh, urgent issue to address now because what is at stake in our country is that if we don't uh, if we don't reflect and we, if we don't respond to uh, uh, these precarizations, if we, if we don't fight against this precarization, uh, I don't know what will happen. Our horrible president uh, issued today a video in which he said we, we have to lower the public, uh, public assistance to... Uh, the minimum, the minimum of money that uh, uh, unemployed people uh, can have, because if we give them this money, they will not go back to work, and they are they are poor. We spend money to help them, and they they, they remain poor. So what the use of giving them the, this money? This video is so ugly. So revolting. So you you cannot see that you you you, you feel insulted you, and you, you feel you feel revolted and by this man who is very happy to blame the poor for being poor and who want now to cut the 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 the, the, the very 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 minimum amount of money they can get. Because they get it without uh, stopping being poor, as, a, as though, uh, it, and with the idea of individual responsibility. It was this video is revolt. It, it has been issued by his own media team, and it's so revolting. It's so incredibly revolting. You, c- you cannot believe it. You cannot believe it. And it is the president which has been elected in our country with. And we cannot do anything against that. We, can, we, we fight, people are striking, people are demonstrating, people are shouting, and we cannot do anything against that. And the precarization, for example, Edward's parents um, were not workers anymore because they, 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 they don't find jobs. Uh, this is a working class that would, uh, that would work. And what does that mean? What is, the, what is the, the challenge for us on the left today to, uh, to, to take that in account, working class? With, when I was a teenager, my mother in the 70s used to, lead, to work in a factory. Um, there were 1,700 1700 workers in that factory. 500 were members of the CGT, which was the trade union very close to the Communist Party, 500. There were long strikes. Um, there were a kind of a organization of the working class. There were resistance of the working class. Today, the factory has been, is closed, does not exist anymore. Where are the work? Oh, they are dead. It was in the 70s. Their sons and daughters, their grandsons and daughters, where are they? They have precarious jobs, if they can get jobs, which means where are the 500 cards of membership of that trade union? They do not exist anymore, and people are isolated. If they are isolated, what do they do to protest against what is done to them? They do the only thing they can do. They vote once in a while, for the National Front, because this is the only way for them to protest. There would be, I, I, I know, 
that they should vote for uh, the different parties on the left, and, uh, but they don't because they don't trust the left anymore. If you say left, uh, they, they, we don't like the left. We are disgusted by the left. So um, here, it's also a matter of personal experience. I saw Edward's parents vote for the National Front. My parents, who did vote, who, did, who used to vote for the Communist Party during all their lives, uh, started voting for the National Front uh, as early as the mid-80s or beginning of the 90s. So it's, it's uh, I said this, I was trying to write a theoretical book, but it was also a political book uh, grounded in my own experience. What happened to, to, to the left? What, what happened to the working class? Um, what happened to the left? What happened to, to politics? And so it's... Um, I would say that Edouard is, he says he doesn't write literature, but he's a very great writer, and he is reinventing literature through his rage against literature as we read it today, especially in France, where uh, tiny problems of daily life uh, are the, 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 at the heart of the novels. And um, I don't... I, <laughs> I, I do not have a, any idea or any norm what should literature, uh, uh, what, what literature must be. Everybody can write what he or she wants, okay. But there is a dissatisfaction, discontent with this kind of literature without, uh, uh, without content. And, uh, Edward is kind of revolting against that literature. And is what he's trying to reinvent is a confrontational literature, a literature in which something is, is at stake and, and voices are, are heard. It's kind of a, I would say, a, a Sartrean or way of, uh, of writing, or Beauvoirian way of writing. And I would say that it's what I in, try to do in Returning to Reims or on the, on the books which followed uh, this one is also a revolt against theory, political, sociological, philosophical theory, uh, as they are today, uh, in which you, you could think that the world uh, has no, uh, no existence. Uh, political theory without, without the world in this theory. What is it about? And the political theory without politics, it's, it's, uh, it's a problem. No, no, it's a, what, what did you just say is also adds a, a level of complexity because, as we said, we wrote, I write and Didier writes also <coughs> because we had the feeling that no one was talking about the working class, but a lot of people are insulting the working class. Yes. Okay, so it it makes me think. The, you know, m most of the time when, when when we talk about class, uh, most of the time with a sociological way of thinking, which is important because sociology is truth. Uh, uh, we tend to talk in terms of uh, exclusion, and the more I think about it, the less I believe in the idea of uh, exclusion <coughs> because the people of my childhood and the people of the class 
in which I grew up, they were not excluded. They were prosecuted. It was the opposite, you know. The, polit the people in the political field were constantly talking about them, you know, like Macron does today. He thinks the working class is lazy, the working class is ugly, the working class should work more, the working class should study more. And it's the same thing that happened here in the United States. And when my father lost his job... We are not in the United States here. <laughs> we are not in the... No, you say in the United States. Uh, uh, in, in the UK. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> in, uh, when, the same language, <laughs> the same language. The same I, get, country. I get a little bit lost. Uh, but uh, when, when my father was uh, lost his job because of his uh, accident at the, at the factory, uh, he was persecuted by the French state to go to work, exactly like Daniel Blake in the masterpiece of Ken Loach, you know. People were telling him, my father was, uh, like his body was a wreck, he was in bed, he couldn't move, and he started to move a little bit again, and then the French state told him, you have to go to back to work, or you will lose your welfare. So it's either you lose your welfare and you die, or you go back to work and you die, you know. So it's dying or dying. It's the two options left by these people for government. And so, I don't, I don't believe anymore in the, in exclusion. It was the contrary. It's when you have money, when you are privileged, you can exclude yourself from politics. You can leave a country, you can go on vacation, you can, but when you are working class, and it's even more true when you think about people of color, you know, in France, people of color are killed by the police. More than 15 people, black and Arabs, are killed by the police every year. Adama Traoré was killed by the police. His sister today is by the gendarme. Uh, uh, his sister today is fighting against that. And so for them, their life was not a matter of exclusion. It was the opposite. They go to a supermarket, people follow them. They go in the street, the police follow them. And, and, and so for me, yeah, persecution is a, is, is a more contemporary and a more true way of thinking about that. And, and since you, since you know that, since you know that most of the people in our societies are persecuted, you can't, you can't, as Didier was saying, you can't write literature the same way some people do. Mm. You, can write, you can't write about... I know that now today it's very fashion to write about uh, the bourgeoisie who <laughs> they don't know what to do with their own bodies, you know. Uh, uh, Lou Reed is dead, and uh, mm. so they, are, they don't know what to do, and uh, uh, it's very difficult for them. Uh, uh, but uh, it's not possible, you know. Mm. You have to be confronted to this persecution. It's something mm. that I often say, but uh, when I start writing every day, I, I start to write uh, out of shame, you know. Mm. Every day I know that I could, uh, that I could go help mm. a migrant, that I could go help a homeless person, that I could be part of an uh, LGBT association and help someone. In fact, I do it. I was part of a movement of migrants that was occupying a, a university in Paris. But I think I could do more mm -hmm. if I was not writing. And so it doesn't mean that we should not write because, of course, writing changed so many things and Simone de Beauvoir changed so many things to women's life and everything. But it means that you have to be confronted to this shame. Mm -hmm. What can I do, you know? Mm -hmm. I have to know that I could be much more efficient politically, that I could, I could uh, act on someone's life right now. Mm. And it works. I saw it when I was the, with the migrants mm. that was occupying the... There were so many militants, so many activists, they were changing people's life every day. Mm. And so how can you not be uncomfortable when you write? Mm. And so you, you have to face 
this shame. Shame could be a very good thing, you know? Mm. It's mm. Uh, and what, what I don't understand <coughs> is why so many people write uh, without shame, yeah. you know? Yeah. My mother lost her bicycle and, uh, and they can write 200 pages like this. Yeah. Uh, yes. and, uh, I, I will never understand this. Frankly, it's, uh, so w- what I do is I write in order to spread shame, you know? There are good kind of shame. There are bad kind of shame that LGBT people feel in their everyday life and everything, but they're a good kind of shame because it's a shame against the dominant. Yeah. This one is a good shame. Yeah, yeah thank you. Um, on that point, just to remind you, Didier and Edouard are signing copies of their wonderful books, but please join me in thinking Didier Eribon and Edouard Louis. Thanks for listening. To find out more about London Review Bookshop events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.